each man different, living his own way, searching, discovering numero uno. So welcome everyone yeah. to another episode of Broken by Concept, episode 15. I'm your host, uh, Coach Curtis, and this is Nathan Motts, my co-host. And Again, you're the host and I'm the co-host. Yeah, yep. go on, go on, Curtis. Yep, yep, yep. And then... So obviously, if you're listening, um, we didn't have a a episode released last week due to audio issues we just explained you won't you won't be, if you're listening to this on spotify or podcast we just explained the reason for it and why our mic quality is significantly different because we've actually changed our setup uh you have to go to our youtube channel uh broken by concept to look at the explanation for the last five minutes um and that's the reason why we are sounding a little bit different if you're yeah. only because there is some people that only listen to us on spotify and, and apple podcasts well for those people i do recommend going onto the youtube and checking out what we said, yeah, make a lot more sense. All right, so and this is and this is just a weird episode in general, Curtis, because we we want to talk about. So we thought that last episode, the one that we recorded, that was messed up. Um, after two hours, we thought that was actually pretty good. So we're going to revisit all the topics, but which is going to feel weird for us because it's like we're repeating it, you know. But I think it's fine. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, we have to talk about this stuff. I, I don't want to skip over that. We spoke about some really important topics um and i think where we started last week when we got to touch on it quickly was the um we spoke about the grand final right it was yeah, the, so, i mean let's touch on worlds which feels so weird because you know worlds feels like it was so long ago feels so long ago man it's, it's literally like, not even a week it's like four yeah. or five days you know yeah um so, what were the takeaways nathan what, 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 we talking what, about what, did, what did you think of the opening ceremony compared to other years by the way curtis I mean, for me, I found personally, I found it quite underwhelming comparatively to the mm. other years. It was hard to top last year's, right? Last year's was amazing, right? It just felt a little bit, something about it felt inauthentic. And I can't really so? put my finger on it. You think they tried gonna, too hard? You think I'm just going to blame it on COVID. Yeah. Given the circumstances. Like, it just felt sloppy. It just felt very, like, half-assed in a way. Like, it's like... Mm. Everything was underwhelming. Like that whole thing where that guy was like going around with the swords and shit. It's like it's like the battle scene. I see what they yeah, were trying to do with that. I can was, see what they're trying to do. Yeah. They're it. trying to recreate the what was it the last year? Rise. The, ri- the rise yeah, video rise. clip. Yeah, I wasn't a fan of it, but um, I think it, it was cool. It, they were trying to merge like all the songs together and all that sort of stuff. You know, I like that. Yeah, I like that. I just like felt lower songs. quality than the other than the other years, mm. but um. So obviously Dan won three one over Sooning. Um and one thing that surprised me is how many of the games were close. The first three games could have gone either way. Mm. Right? Would you mm. agree with that, Nathan? The first three games could have gone either way. I think yeah, I think game one hundred percent. I mean, it just all came down to that one dragon fight. For, for Soul, I think it was where um, Bin went for the ultimate. He all altered Pantheon. Remember that? Oh yeah, that's that's one thing that I was looking. That at. Fight I was so huge. confused, man. Yeah, I, I was. So and then Azir's positioning. Azir's positioning. Yeah, if you, I mean, if you're not familiar, what I would what I would recommend going over the vote if you were if you are interested, there was this one specific team fight around. It was the Infernal Soul, I believe. Infernal Soul fight and was it a soul? It was Infernal Soul, wasn't it? Nathan? Yeah, no, I, I can't was remember. It? it was some soul. It was a soul it was fight. A soul fight. Anyway, the um, Sunin were actually kind of ahead at this point, and Bin specifically was, was playing Wukong, and he was like kind of positioned around the side, around one of the entrances around Dragon, but that was fine. That was good. He should have been looking for the flank. Obviously, he was like kind of you know posturing around the corner, 
But then at the same time, the Azir, which was Angel and Sword Art on Morgana, were also kind of going around the back of the Dragon Pit trying to do a flank as well. So usually you don't see that sort of thing. I mean, sometimes you see those one through one compositions where you have two flankers where they just want to dive onto the back line. But it felt like in that situation, Azir was very fed up. I believe Azir had two completed items. They could have easily just done the 4 1. Azir sit with the team. And, and let, yeah, let, just let Wukong create space in the back line, and then you kind of win that fight. Uh, but two things went wrong. Azir went on the flank as well, which then left one Fang and SOFM exposed because then it was like a 2-2-1 situation. And if, whenever you're a team in that situation, whether you're playing Clash or whatever, if you see the team split that much, you just engage on any one of them, any direction, just all in, go. Whether it's on the Morgan Azir, whether it's on the SOFM and one thing, or whether it's straight onto Bin. You just all in on one direction, you make the pick, and you 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 kind of force a fight before they can actually regroup. Anyway, that was the first thing I didn't like. And the other thing was that Bin just straight up engaged onto the Pantheon, wasted Wukong all through the fight. They lost that fight. I think Damon actually got Baron as well off that. Um and then that yeah, kind of turned Yeah, that kind of turned the tides of that game. Obviously they lost. Oh, you, the by the way, game, on game one as well, you hated you hated the arcane comment. I remember you uh, yeah. pointing out specifically, like I hate arcane comment is yeah, especially in this matchup and the game pace in its first game. And you know, one thing you again you talked about on the last podcast as well. Um, I mean the one that we you know didn't end up getting published. The the way grand finals, because you've experienced we, I mean, we've experienced a lot of grand finals. Game one, the first couple of minutes of the first game of a grand final. Every single grand final in every region without fail is slow. They're just slow. Everyone's the, first, the entire run. game or the first couple of minutes? I would say the, the entire early – yeah, the, I would say the first 15, 20 minutes is slow. That game, I believe there was like one kill, but the first kill wasn't until like something ridiculous. I think it was, wasn't until like 18 minutes yeah, or something. Yeah, it was zero, zero for a long time. It yeah. was a, yeah, zero, 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 for, zero, zero for a long time. Um. I mean, yeah, because everyone's shitting themselves. They're very conservative. And Azir, that game, went Arcane Comet into And Arcane Comet is designed for lane bullying. Is that correct? Yeah, it's a, it's a lane bully. And you want to get a lot of pressure. You want to poke out the Oriana, you know, play for pressure, that sort of thing. And play for pressure is fine. But given in that composition or that comp specifically, Azir was versing an Orn. Mm. You need and Lethal Tempo like, to chop it down. Yeah, like Lethal Tempo... And just going the standard route just would have made a lot more sense to me, given how you could probably safely predict it was going to go to like some form of dragon fight, rift tail fight, front to back team fight, in which Comet is essentially useless. Mm. So, and he just went even in lane with his Comet. I'm like, all right, man, you could have significantly turned the tides of this game if you were to go lethal tempo. Even Conqueror, even though I hate Conqueror and Azir, lethal tempo is like the perfect balance. But that was another thing I wasn't really happy with. Um, and apart from that, what were you, man? Other, any other takeaways, Nathan? I mean, from that, that one was a favorite. Or just I, mean, in general. I mean, yeah, in general also, I mean, I love the Rengar pick into Eve game two and SOFM's build, like literally Cinder Hulk into Knight's Vow, um, into Spirit Visage. Well, did you like it's, that or you thought it was weird? Like, what, I mean, oh, all right, so we, I mean, we, we had a discussion during the game. We were confused about what's the identity of Tank Rengar. Like, he's not one-shotting anyone and he's not exactly doing... Um, you know, he, he's, he can peel with his E, but he, he can't peel, peel like it. He's, he's, he's not designed to peel, peel, but he was just creating chaos, man. You mm. know, and, and, and you know what? He actually did still do, de- he almost, he caught off Lucian in the river like a couple of times, you know, even yeah. for the tank. I mean, he, man. I think he needed Bin for it as well, but like that. But, but I mean, like as as Eve, the Rengar full tank, like just done. I mean, Rengar already full um, damage is already hard enough to deal with in terms of to kill. 
I mean, obviously, you can kill him as Eve. It's more possible. Right. It literally, as Tang Rengar, it's impossible. So it's one target, gone. Just, just gone. Mm. Impossible to kill, you know? The other thing as well, by the way, with that build, it allows you to build a lot of CDR, doesn't it? Because you rush Knights Yeah, you have a lot of CDR. That's and right. CDR's yeah, very... Simply, no, CDR's about. important for Rengar because um, the ultimate... Rishage. That's right. Yeah. So that, that, that's the other thing someone said in my in my in my Twitch chat. They're saying how the great thing about that build, if you go on Knights Bound to Spirit Visage, you're going a lot of CDR comparatively to what you would also go on Rengar. If you were to go a Lethality Rengar, yes, you would get CDR from the first Lethality item, but you're most well, you're likely going to get from Warrior as well, Curtis. Ten percent, ten percent from thing. You still have pretty much the oh, same, same, same amount of CDR. It doesn't but Edge really doesn't give you CDR though. If you were to no, go it doesn't. That's right. Yeah, and he probably would have. I mean, Curtis. Honestly, that's not <laughs> that's not why you would go that build. I think it's just a thing for him. Right. Fair enough. Um, I, I mean, I was, to be honest, I personally, I'm not a big, I'm not a jungler, but it doesn't feel right to me because it's like, why not just go like Lee Sin? Yes, obviously, it's not as a hard counter to everyone. Yeah, I, I actually. Lee Sin hard tank is like, that. I mean, yeah. Lee Sin's still you could, good. You could do the same thing. And he did that. He, SOFM did go nuts for, you know, Lee Sin and stuff like that, you know? It's like, you could peel much better. You could peel and way you have, better you have at more Strength early game as well. You Sorry, can still yeah. shut down Eve, you know? I, 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 it's like, why does not play Lee? But whatever, you know. And then, like, me. SOFM's next build, and this is the thing that just blew my brain the Omni Stone. Oh, yeah. Like, I literally just spent, like, that whole series. I wasn't even watching the game. I was just trying to, like, the whole time just roasting I, I, him. I, no, well, I, was, I wasn't, I mean, I was roasting him eventually. You weren't roasting in a sarcastic way. I was trying way. to figure it out, Curtis. Like, this guy obviously knows a lot more than me, okay? I, I mean, at the end of the day, we have to need to understand that, you know, People have certain strategies that, you know, sometimes the, the average viewer doesn't know, you know, but I was really trying to work this one out. And like, I'm just like sitting there watching it and like, like the little runes that come up and it's like, we're talking about Omnistone, how he took, oh, he took Omnistone on Italy. Italy. It's like grass pops up, like flee to footwork. Like the, like, you're not going to do anything as Nid with these runes. It was actually painful to see like the rotation of the runes of Omnistone. Hmm. It's it's I mean, useless, and the, the only thing we could be thinking of was, do you use it for the tree? Because you, I mean, you're, you're a big fan of the inspiration tree, right? Yeah, you don't I mean, like I domination. You, you're like the domination tree hater, aren't you, Kurt? Yeah, I don't like the domination tree. I mean, on a jungler, it's not too bad. And I mean, to be honest, Nidalee is probably one of those few champions that could probably utilize the entirety of the domination tree because I'm assuming you go sudden impact, right? Yeah, sudden impact, and, zombie war, and you could uh, ravenous hunter. Yeah, you could proc all of them very well. Yeah. But most mid laners, the reason I'm not a fan of it is because it's, I mean, unless you're like an assassin that gets like something like a Fizz that gets a lot of, or an Echo that gets a lot of value from Zombie Ward, uh, sorry, Ghost Poro and Sudden Impact and Ravenous Hunter or Ultimate Hunter or whatever, then I hate taking it. And most mages and mid laners in the game don't really get much use out of those. I mean, yes, you get a bit of value off Taste of Blood if you want to opt go down that route. But, um, comparatively to the sorcery sorcery tree or precision tree or inspiration tree, you just get much more value. I mean, that was my thought process. Maybe he just wanted the scaling approach with the inspiration tree, but um, yeah, I, don't, I I can't tell you that one. And I really don't understand either. The Omni stone. If anyone has any ideas, I'd love to know in the comments. Uh, did people yeah. talk about it on Twitter? Did Alice mention anything about it? Uh, I didn't really look. I, I wasn't really looking on Twitter. I was so tired because we were so tired that day, weren't we? We so late. literally went to sleep. It was like pretty late for us after. Yeah, it was fried. And then, so that was game three about the Omnistone Nid thing. And then game four was pretty much just... Um, this is Stomp. Just oh. a Stomp. Kendrick Gary. Well, that, that went straight into last time we spoke about the finals format, which... Um, so I got a really good question, an interesting question from... Uh, Wiz, shout out to Wiz. I'm pretty sure he listens to the podcast. And he was talking about how he personally is not a fan of the finals format. 
And specifically, he hates the idea of, you know, the grand final being a single best of five. And he used the, the analogy or the example of the NBA finals. And the NBA finals, was like, it's like a best of seven over the period of two weeks, isn't it? I don't the know. Best of se- I'm pretty sure it's a best of seven over the course of, s- of two weeks or something and they like play, that. They play at one person's home ground, one person's home ground, one person's home ground. They switch it up, right? They switch. Uh, they switch. But I was actually looking into it recently, and I believe it actually goes like you play two games at one arena, and then you go three at the other one or something like that. Um, the thing, the thing about, uh, like before you go on, the thing about that, that doesn't really matter for league because is there a home ground advantage? No, I, I'm not saying this in, re- in reference to the home ground. What I'm yeah, saying yeah, is that- this is just another topic out of curiosity. Oh. It doesn't, right? Like, uh, does the crowd like? What do you think? Because uh, because the, the difference the difference with um for game one, yes, NBA and stuff like that, or like physical sports, is that you're you're physically training in that arena every day. Yeah, but yeah, for yeah. League, you know, like obviously crowds and aspect as well. It's like the home crowd, you know, because then obviously the psyching you out psychologically and stuff like that, right? You have to deal with that. Yeah. Um, but it's not like you're playing in, I mean, I guess. Yeah, you in the same way. Well, if they think about AFL, no, right? Do that. Yeah. Think about AFL home ground advantage. The reason why mm. it's a home ground advantage is because you literally train, train That's right. on that. And they're used to the grass and the, the side. Wind, yeah, everything. Because the, the size climate. of the fields in AFL in Australia, our called Australian Football League, the ground sizes actually differ slightly. So like the, we have ones that. Yeah, well, the MCG is significantly bigger than something like probably the mm. SCG or like the what are the other one in, in Brisbane, the Gabba or whatever it is. Yeah. Um. So there's actually different sizes and also different conditions, both heat as well. That's the same as NFL. I'm assuming. I don't know if the sizes are different, but you have different conditions, both um, like the the temperatures and humidity and things like that. But yeah, in league you yeah, just don't yeah, have that. Yeah. But um, the main thing he was saying is what his suggestion was. Instead of one singular best of five, um, you would have a best of five made out of best of threes. So it would be five, potentially five best of threes. And the reason he said this is because he thinks that um, the series are too short and they're too, there's too much room for tilt. There's too much room for... Um, so, okay, say, for example, like this happened in this series, you know, Dan one win game one, two. The chances are the team comes back and reverse sweeps in the grand final is so slim. You know, not many, like a, a reverse sweep is incredibly, you know, uncommon. It's not, it's not that common. And he was saying that in order to get the best representation or the most accurate, yeah, the most accurate representation of the best team, having five best of threes would be much better. Now, it would be interesting because... Okay, so you mean five best, you mean a best of five using best of three. So you could win three best of threes in a row and you win the series, Yeah, right? that's right. Yeah. The, well, the great thing about that, he was saying, is that it would allow you to have more niche strategy, test more strategies. It would allow you to figure out your opponent much better. And they would be playing better League of Legends because they'd be way less yeah. like, nervous and all that really shit. I like that. I love that a lot. And then also, if you have subs that play certain champions, you could sub them in for one random game. Mm-hmm. You know, for a random game, for a niche strategy. You know, so there's there's room to do this, but you don't have the room to do this in a in a singular best of five. And obviously, this is going to come at a cost for say a riot, whatever. But what I said was, I guarantee you, if they did this over say a long weekend, like a three day event, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, or something, or sorry, five days over like a it has to be five days, literally 
literally five days potentially yeah. if you did this over like a, a friday saturday sunday monday tuesday whatever it is in the holidays or whatever that would get sold out every single day period oh that's not a problem so there's, there's two aspects you need to think about here okay right performance and entertainment okay uh i mean i guess it's sort of tied in a way but do you think that 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 finals format that shows the highest level of performance because people can take more risks I mean, I guess there, there would be more entertaining as well because yeah. you would see more crazy things. People would be less... 100%, man. More, I mean, current, the current format, they're more risk-adverse, right? I mean, the only thing that I was thinking was, okay, you think about Riot and their intention with Worlds as an event. I'm pretty sure it started it, when it was known as a marketing tool, correct? Worlds, at the end of the day, was a marketing well, tool. Well, the whole esports department, yeah. The whole yeah. esports was a marketing tool. Yeah. It wasn't really designed to make money. Hmm. but they're probably not going to, they're not going to be like at some point they probably got to draw a line. Right. I mean, maybe not because they're that big that it doesn't really matter, but how do you draw the line? Cause that's going to cost them way more in production costs. Think about it. broadcast talent, hiring the venue for an extra few days, which is incredibly expensive. Like that whole process, that whole thing is going to cost a lot more money. Maybe again, um, they're well, worried I mean, you, about that's your job to figure it out. I mean, how do you monetize hmm. that? But I mean, at the end of the day, you've got extra, Potentially, I'm mean, gonna say three hours, extra assets. three times four. Yeah, you extra twelve hours of broadcast time. Mm-hmm. I mean, let's say it's like five games ago to the five. You have, yeah. you know, you can figure that out. If anything, you could maybe figure out maybe that's actually better commercially. Potentially. Anyway, I just found that as an, an interesting little point there because I'm with you. The team that generally wins game one and two, it very is. It's very likely that they're going to win the whole series. Like it felt like sooning, and that's why. By the way, the game four quality was trash. They could, they were just beaten down. Man. Yeah, so we were especially I mean, yeah, hardcore focus in those first two games, and the way you lose them, like they're like so close, you know. So close. Well, actually, no, we'll soon in one game too, right? So, you know, it's like the third one, it's just like the kick, man. It's like, yeah, so yeah. The team that wins that third close. that was so close, dude. Like that was, yeah, they were all really close. Yeah, and yeah, then it's, it's like so game like, four, like we're down two one. It's like, oh, this is just so hard. Like one thing, one bad thing happens during that game. It's like it's just so hard to bring it back, you know. Yeah. That's how I felt. It felt like in game. It felt like in game four, one thing happens, and then you just like, all right, get me out. Like so they're subconsciously, just like I don't want to play. I can't. I can't bring myself to win this game. You know, just mentally, because then you're going to win another game after that with you know the same amount of energy. It's it's a lot, yeah. you know. So um, yeah, I just found that really interesting, and it's something that I think league need to consider. Just in terms of both, I'm thinking more of just the competitive integrity. Do you think that they should also do that for the regional finals as well, or just the world world final? Probably just the world world final, I reckon. Yeah, I think so as well. So I just do one think NALCS and LEC. But I do think that the rest of the format's actually trash as well. Like the fact that we had to sit through again, Damwon versus DRX again in a best of five. Mm-hmm. Even though we've already seen that domestically in LCK, LCK finals, yeah. that's a joke. Imagine how angry you would be if you were DRX. It's like, what the fuck? Like, we're with a second seed, and then, like, we'd already versed and we lost to them. It's proven that, you know, we've seen that. Why do we have to go through this again? No one wants to watch Korea versus Korea again. They should make it so the Koreans, they don't verse each other to the final again, and the Chinese teams don't verse each other to the final. Wouldn't it have been much more exciting instead of... So it was, what were the teams versing? It was... Um, China, China versus Korea, and Korea, Korea on the other sides of the... Opposite sides of the bracket. Yeah, that would have been so much better, right, if Korea didn't verse each other. Yeah, well, that would have been possible, right? They could have just had. 
I mean, you have to go back down to the group stages of, you know, it comes down to the group. I mean, at the end of the day, Worlds starts with the group stages. You know, it's like right. you, you're in, you, you're, it's like there's four, 16 teams, top two from each, and then they get seeded into, you know, A versus the winner versus the first place versus second place, first place versus second place. Well, I mean, I think, I think, I think double elimination needs to be the way it goes, you know? Yeah, like a double second, elimination. Work your way back up. Actually, how does NBA do it? NBA, you don't have second chances, do you? I actually don't know. I actually really don't know. NBA is the same thing. It's pretty much all the similar to the to this final series. I think they're best of fives no or idea. sevens. I, well, I know Monty, Monty and Thorin talk about this. In their, their, they do like a, what is it, Summoning Insight? Is that what it's called or something like that? Yeah. They have an episode talking about, World yeah, format. well, that. They talk about world's format. I mean, they know a lot more than world's formats than us. I don't really know anything about formats and just competition formats. I don't know. But they were talking about a certain style of format where it is a double elim, where there's a loser's bracket. Um, yeah, the loser's bracket. And then that way as well, there's actually, they'll pretty much basically guarantee on average the same amount of games anyway. Hmm. But then also pretty, what you remove. A lot of games, yeah. What you remove is those pointless games. You remove the pointless games where. Like we had FlyQuest versus Top Esports, where FlyQuest, that was t- Top Esports had already f- secured first seed, I believe, and FlyQuest were already out. Even if mm-hmm. FlyQuest won that game, it didn't mean anything. So what Which happened? Which is crazy won that game. The, the best, most prestigious event of the world, there's literally useless games. That, sh- that should be only for regular seasons. Yeah. You know? Uh, yeah, exactly. And think about that. It makes no sense. The fact that that exists mm-hmm. is stupid. Mm-hmm. Because again, Top Esports, they probably don't want to give away. How do you know they just don't want to give anyway, any more strategy? They don't want to show anything more about what they have in store. And how's that? The one game they happened to to lose to an average team was the one that didn't matter. You know, it, you know, this is weird to me. Anyway. So another takeaway, Curtis, from from the grand final series is sort of a topic that we brought up. You know, we actually quickly spoke about this as we're watching as well because we, we actually caught ourselves. Because, you know, we obviously in the podcast, we've been talking a lot about invisible narratives and that sort of stuff. We said, quote, so this was the game three. Um, and I'm, I'm obviously I'm very focused on jungle matchups, right? And then um, SOFM picked Graves, right? And into, the, into DWG's um, – oh, no, sorry. No, DWG, sorry, Canyon picked Graves into D, to Sunin's top side, which was – Jax, Nidalee, and Akali, right? And as Graves, that's impossible to play against. And just quoted from Champ Select, this game's just done. GG, literally 20 minutes, impossible for DWG to win this. Soon was going to win that, you know? That's what you literally said, yeah. Literally said that. And like, it's like sort of been sarcastic, but sort of like serious in a way. I was probably like 80% serious, you know? And, And then, you know, we sort of, like I sort of call myself saying, like I said this in solo queue a lot as well, which is, and no, because then what happened is that team, you know, they they didn't win. You know, it's like, well, come on, like, it's not impossible. Clearly, and this is the highest level of competition where you'd think that it should be just based one off draft, right? Um, and I was like, well, I, I this is actually a mental block that I have in solo queue. Stuff like you would tell yourself, like scaling, like oh, like the enemy team like wins like one early team fight. This game's just over GG because the enemy team's already outscaled us because we're the early game team and we should have won the early game fight, which is true. That's true. Yes, you should have still won, but the game, trust me, the enemy team will still make mistakes, and they have so many times. I always say this to people. Uh, Curtis, how many times have you beaten a le- level 16 Cassidy? Yeah, it happens quite often. Quite often. 
but well, I'd say, it's, it's, so, so, I would say it's like it's not 100 percent gdl it, i'm not gonna say quite often i would say 50 50 i'll say honestly 50 50 okay 50 50 but in our in my head or in anyone's head or even in the chat it's like this game's just over gg ff and yeah, it's probably incredibly difficult to beat a Cassidy that makes it through the early to mid game. Even if it's twenty percent, even, yeah, even if it's twenty percent of the time, it doesn't matter. Yeah, that's right. It's, it's the fact that, that it's possible. I mean, you're spot on, man. Like, because I remember like hearing that as well. Because I thought the same. I was like, holy shit! Imagine playing Graves into a Kali. A Kali blocks a lot of auto attacks. You can't really do much to a Graves. A Kali, I'm um, sorry, you can't do much to a Kali. A Kali is hard countered by hard CC. Kali's counter by hard CC. Graves offers none of that. Yes, the smoke screen is a little bit annoying. Yes, there's a bit of AOE with the Q and the ultimate, whatever, but that's not really what's going to shut down an Akali. And traditionally, Nidalee is also quite good into Graves. Um, I don't know the specifics of why. You can maybe riff on that later. Um, and then also Graves, again, uh, more auto-attack-based champion into a Jax. You know, Busy. not too- Yeah. Now, in that game, um, Bin died to a level three graves gank i believe randomly he hadn't mm. died to a gank i believe in most of the se- the series and he happened to die that game to canyon's graves at like level three randomly whether it was through poor wave manager or whatever the reason and that just happens human error you know games are chaotic he might have lost focus for a split second for whatever reason um he died to that gank and that's all graves needed to get through the entire early laning or the early game sorry and scale nicely into mid game and you know, work with his team and get shit done. And I think you're spot on in saying this happens in solo queue. Well, of course. I mean, you think of it, it can happen at the highest level of competition. It's happening in, trust me, your gold, platinum, you know, diamond, you know, games, you know. And you like- know how toxic that is, Nathan? The, the, the fact that even us, people that have played the game for this long. Yeah. We've and- done it. We've been Sixteen we, we know it's possible, but we still have these narratives. Our default response is that is like GG or oh, can't win or like even if it's jokingly, like you said, even if you're saying it sarcastically in a weird way, deep down there is an element of truth to it. You're thinking, "Holy shit, this is actually going to be a really get hard game to win." But like, it's easy for me to just give up because then it's like it yeah. protects my ego, that sort of stuff. I mean, because remember you you brought up the other the other day as well as so you you um, randomly came to me and said, Nathan, I noticed today like. People in my Discord server, everyone's so mentally weak when it comes to solo queue. Yeah. Yeah, it feels like everyone like you get Gives everyone up. gets tilted off like one question mark or like one death. Like a common problem with people in my Discord is that they die once and then they check out mentally. They die once and then they like can't bounce back. Whether it's because they feel like they they know what the mistake is and they need to go into the to review or you know, they messed up and they want to go to the next game or they just think it's jungle diff and they have to go to the next game quickly. Whatever reason it is. Well, for me, they- for me, when I die, like, um, early and it's like a really dumb mistake, I have such high, I have such high expectation because the way that I, I play the game, it's like I have to play perfectly or I don't deserve to win, you know? Mm. So then I'll check out mentally. It's like, well, like I shouldn't win this game because I didn't play perfectly. But that, that's not me blaming my teammates. That's me just having super high expectations for myself, you know? Yeah, but you've got to walk that line. you got to walk that fine line. I mean, you shouldn't. It's not even a fine line because I think it's like you die. You, you, the next thing, instead of thinking about that play, you're moving instantly on to the next thing. And you're thinking, what's the next best decision to make right now? What's the next best decision to make given the current situation in the game? And, and yeah. what I've I repeat that to myself over and over, and I'm like, I'm, I have to be also 110% focused in that game as well. I can't be tilted. Then I generally win games that shouldn't, I shouldn't have won. 
a lot of the time. Mm. Well, this actually reminds me a lot of uh, the work we did with Chippies in 2017 with Jono, Jono and Chippies. And Chippies had a, uh, a problem with not being able to let go. He was a, a top planner for one of, the, one of the rosters that I coached in 2017. He was an exceptional top planner at the time in terms of a carry. He was a carry. He was very dominant. He used to play champions like Kim, Camille, Fiora, things like that. And um, he had such high expectations of himself that when he made a mistake, his default response was to just be like, oh, like he was so angry and he wouldn't be able to let it go. And then it would it would influence all of the other decisions that would happen in that game. Like it would be a flow on effect. If he died early to a ganker level three, like he would have to make up for it by either overcompensating, trying to get, he has to get another solo kill back or he has to do something crazy or he has to get a gank from his jungler. There was always something he had to do to make up for it. But that's not the right mentality. That's not the right approach. It's more about, like you said, Nathan, it's you got to, okay, what is the situation right now? What is my role on the team? What do I have to do next? What's the next objective? What's my power spike? How am I going to get there? Right there. What's my role to win this game? Is it to just not die? Do I have to play weak side? Is it to just protect a certain lane? Is it to literally just be a literally ward bot for my team? That's the key thing. Because remember, everyone thinks of winning games in League of Legends is carrying the montage plays like 10 and 0, 10 and 3. Because what is your score on a lot of your Oriana games? That when you're yeah. like, like when you're top yeah, 10. at the moment, like I'm ranked 10 or something, and most, yeah, most of my Oriana games, I'm like what, two, like one, zero, two, seven, zero something. Like yeah, yeah, two, zero, 10. I had one, it was recently one, zero, 15. Like most, I'm, I am not. I mean, some games, yes, I am the sole carrier of the team, and other games, I'm not. I'm happy to take a back seat because I could know you a, that could you put a ratio on that. Out of curiosity, like, what do you reckon it is? Like, games where you're clearly just hard carrying in terms of kills and damage, and games where you're playing. I mean, you're still doing work, but it's like you're 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 doing well, but you're not like this is just like on one v nine in this game. I would, honestly, the way I play Oriana, I I very rarely see myself as one v nine carry. One in ten. Very rarely. I would say yeah. I, I would say seventy percent of games I see myself as a facilitator for the jungler or someone else. All right, maybe Oriana is a bad example. What about Zed? When you're learning Zed, um. Again, it's not like I never viewed myself as a 1v9 on Zed. Well, Zed's not a 1v9 champion. The way I viewed it was like, okay, I, I got to be strong, but I also have to have another strong member on my team because Zed can't 1v9 a team fight. I need mm. a strong side lane or a strong jungler on my team. Mm. That's how I view mid lane at all, actually, to be honest. Outside of Cassiopeia and maybe Azir and that's it. I think maybe Cassiopeia and Azir out of the champs I play anyway. I always, even like Aurelia, actually, maybe Aurelia, Azir, and Cassiopeia. I feel like every other champ outside of those that are in my pool, I'm playing for the team. When I play Galio, when I play Twist of Fate, when I play Ori, when I play Zed, even when I play things like Fizz and things like that, I, I never view myself as a 1v9 carry. I am getting someone, uh, my goal is to get someone else ahead. And it happens to be great in this meta because jungles, a lot of junglers are playing carry junglers. We see like Graves, we see Nidalee, Kindred, you know, Evelyn. We see a lot of like carry oriented junglers. And if I can get them fed, I know we can win the game. And that's okay. It's okay not to be the carry, which actually, actually, before we go into the next thing, I just want to reiterate one last thing, Nathan. You know how we're talking a bit about um, we're catching ourselves, sort of things that we say when watching Worlds. 
What are some other thing or what are some things that you you hear people say in your when you're when you're doing your coaching, your soul to whatever it is? Like how can how can people know if they have this sort of mentality towards the game? What are some things that you would hear them say? So things that they say that again, I it's hard like people for my so the what the, the things that you know that I, the example that I used right when I said that um, I when I die I feel like that I, I need to play perfectly to climb the solo queue ladder and if I'm not playing perfectly then I'm like what's the point in playing the the rest of this game right like 110 percent focused that's not something that I really f- have with my coaching clients it's more I mean it's more them it's like they they actually need to take that first it's actually good to have that responsibility taking responsibility it's like you know we, we talk about um doper's mindset when he plays solo queue he feels like he's like a gladiator you know he's like going in there like his life is very precious because if you die in real life you're dead right he's like fully 100 percent switched on and you're like you know he's not putting down his shield and his sword like if he was like in a gladiator fight like he's very 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 focused and he understands that he needs to again play perfectly but it's not like when you die it's like that's still like, yeah like, you can revive in league of legends you can still be a gladiator well, I spoke about that in my video recently. I said, you have to view each death as the single most important thing and simultaneously... That's the key one. I love that. Not at all. Not at all, yeah. So you got to view... It's, it's very... It's weird. You, you can review it after. Mean? So it's like you... Re- is it, it's important in the review, but it's not important in the moment, well, right? Well, no. you got to view... No, the way I view it is you got to understand that sometimes one death is all it takes to lose a game. That's it. Sometimes. I mean, I've done thousands of reviews where one death lost, lost the game, yeah. Yeah, you literally, okay, you're playing a champion and you died to a level three gank and that can literally, maybe that was your own, you had, that, maybe that was one of those games, Nathan, where you had to play flawlessly. That was one mm-hmm. of those, 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 um, is it the, the 40% ones where you had to play really well and it was all on you and you messed up. You died to that gank. You didn't track the jungler. That allowed the enemy Graves or Kindred to snowball, and then the game was over. There was there was no more entrances for you to win that game anymore. Well, okay, that that may exist, and that is the case a lot of the time in League of Legends. But in the grand scheme of your improvement over thousands and hundreds and thousands of games, whatever it is, you not hundreds of thousands, but hundreds and thousands. <laughs> like of games. hundreds of thousands of games. <laughs> I don't think anyone in the world's got that. <laughs> um. You know, that one death really doesn't mean anything because, again, you're going to keep playing. You're going to keep playing. Like, the, you dying that one time is not going to prevent you from queuing up again and playing again and then playing again. You're still going to be able to play again. So every death is important because, yes, that could be the game lost, but it's also not important because it's going to allow you to learn. You're going to grow from it. You're going to see why that happened in the first place, see the trends, and then you can implement that learning into the next game. So it's important and it's not in the grand scheme of your improvement over a long period of time. So you've got to find that balance. And this is where you've got to find the balance between taking responsibility for losses, but not letting that responsibility be a burden. You can't let that responsibility mm. weigh too heavy on your shoulders mm. because if you let it weigh too heavy, you're not going to be able to let it go. You're not going to be able to let that death go and move on to the next play. And I think yeah. that's where Chippy's oh, was. That's, that's, and that's why I, I definitely struggle with that as well. It's like, because then, because you can always, every everything else that happens in that game, you can always bring it back to, well, if I didn't die, then that wouldn't have happened. You know? It's like, oh, then if I didn't die, I would have this item. I'll be stronger. I'll have more gold. I'll have higher levels. But it's so easy. And it's so it feels so good to think like that. It feels so good to think, oh, like, what what if? 
Well, cause it makes sense. It's like, it's a very little thing you can tell yourself in your head. It's like, oh, okay. That, that makes sense. Why this game's so difficult. Or this makes sense. Why I, I can stop trying. Cause I already lost the game five, 10 minutes ago. Yeah. Yeah. And it's and, hard yeah. to try for an entire game for four, 30, 40 minutes, especially when there's been so really many hard. It's very difficult. It's a skill you need to learn. You know, this actually makes so much sense, Nathan. I just figured this out with Chippies. So Chippies, the only reason he had this problem is because he felt like he had to be the carrier of that team. He wanted to yeah, be the carrier right. of the team. Yeah. He felt yeah. like if he wasn't carrying, because he didn't trust his bot lane that year, remember? Yeah, yeah. Chippies did not trust his bot lane. He was a top lane. He did not trust his bot lane. So he felt like he had to get ahead. Hmm. He had to be the carry. And if he didn't get ahead, they were going to lose the game. This is all. So he had to do crazy things. Yeah. Yeah. This is all. A he had to go for solo kills and he would take risky things. Even though I knew the jungler might be around. He's like, oh, I got to go for this anyway. He had to do it because he didn't trust. Or hmm. he either wasn't comfortable getting carried, whether it was his ego or something, or he didn't trust his bot lane. I know that that year for a fact, he did not trust his bot lane. Hmm. Yeah, we knew that. And I feel like that makes so much sense when you actually think about it. And this is why you got to go into the deep work. My next video coming out or probably at the same time as this podcast um, is about invisible narratives and how to tackle invisible narratives. And I actually talk a little bit about that. One of the things I utilize, I talk about how to utilize a preseason is actually listing out all of your invisible narratives and your mental blocks. This is the time. This is the time during the preseason to set yourself up for, for success in season 11 is to really think about what are some of these things holding you back? Like this, Nathan, you never would have, if we hadn't had this conversation during Worlds, whatever, maybe you never would have caught yourself and you would have found yourself giving up in games where you, maybe they yeah, could have. Now I know it's something I consciously need to work on. It's like, like, even though this is a scaling team and we might have a bad early game, it's like, we, well, I'm still trying to super, I'm still trying to figure out a way to win the game. I'm, yeah. I'm, well, I'm, I'm understanding my role more in my games. It's like, well, I don't really need to do much. I don't need to take do for a risky gank. When it's like, well, you know, we I can win in other other avenues. And when you're more relaxed in a game, we like just chill out. You're not rushed and hurrying things like ganks. Like my ganks are so much cleaner when I'm just yeah. relaxed and chilling because I know this is either a good gank or a bad gank. I, I always say one of my mottos is: the harder you force, the quicker you lose, and the more patient you are, the faster you win. Mm. And it's, it's so true in League of Legends. You're you probably you've probably subconsciously consciously mastered that concept on Oriana. I have on Oriana, yeah. yeah. I, but that actually makes a lot of sense because that's how Showmaker plays. Yeah. Showmaker in solo queue is so patient. Got it. Yeah. He's not what you would think he is at all. When you watch Showmaker he's, play... He's like, arguably the best player in the world. Yeah, yeah. Pretty much the best player in the world. And he's like so patient, dude. The way he plays is like he never forces shit. Hmm. He's just like... He, he plays... That's what I, the, the way I say it. Kind of... I'm trying to say the same thing what you're saying. But I say he's proactively reactive. Got it. Proactively reactive. That's what I say. Yeah. Okay. So he's he's not he's not being reactive because he's a bitch or because he's scared or he doesn't know what to do. He's being reactive because he knows that's the most optimal play in this situation. Well, he knows his limits very well as well. You know. So I mean, yeah. he's a champion master. I mean, he's definitely very very good. It's not like you can tell someone be proactively reactive and you'll be showmaker. You know. Yeah. No. 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 It's something you refine over time. For you need champion mastery. This actually leads me to the point, probably one of the most fun topics we mentioned in that podcast, the last episode that did not record, um, was, so I had this uh, guy again on the Discord say, talk a little bit about uh, main character theory. And I believe Saber, XFN, XFSN Saber, he does, he has a YouTube channel. Um, ADC stuff, right? Yeah, AD Carry stuff. And someone linked me this video 
of his a while ago talking about, you know, this guy Saber, he talks about this theory he calls main character theory. And essentially what it is, is he, he believes most of the players, I'll say, yeah, I'll say most is quite fair. Most players within solo queue have some weird invisible narrative where they believe that they need to be the sole carry of every game to win. Like in order to climb, they need to be the carry every game. Like they, they don't know how to get carried. And the, the example he used, he used was Dopa and Dopa was playing a game of fizz. And in this, in this specific example, it was like a, it was like a mid to late game team fight as fizz and his rest of his team died. And it was only him and Aphelios, his, his Aphelios and his team, which was very fair at the time. And it was basically a two V five situation. Now, generally a fizz will want to, was, I think it was like two V four. It's like a two V four situation. And there was a situation where he could have actually gone onto the enemy AD carry and dove the enemy AD carry and like popped him. And then it, may, it would have turned into a 2v3. But what he realized is if he did that, he wouldn't have been able to peel and play peel around his AD carry and play around the Aphelios. Because that's not Fizz's identity at all, is it? Yeah, no, not at all. And and he wouldn't have been able to play around Aphelios's turrets because Aphelios mm. had his turrets down. So he realized in this moment that if I just sit next to the Aphelios, let them come to us and kind of, you know, create space. And I believe one in, in that team fight as well, he throws out the ultimate, gets a chunk that instantly backs up back to the Aphelios. And he plays Peel Fizz in a way. He understood his role in this specific team fight was not to be a carry, not to well, be a one thing, that's, that's specific. Like that's probably never going to happen. That's probably not going to happen for another 10, 20 games. That specific moment he identified his role again, going for like, he's not the main character. He's a side character. In that know? moment. Yeah. You're in not going to be some games. You are going to be the main character. Some you are. Well, some you are Fizz specifically. That's what, that's why I love that Fizz example. Cause Fizz is, he, everyone knows Fizz. He just goes and one shots the AD carry. Mm. yeah i mean you have to adapt and that's the thing league you have to be like water in a game like bruce lee you have to be adaptable and i really like the point that saber raises is that i think it's spot on i think it's spot on i think so many people feel like they need to be like nine and oh eight and oh seven and oh to win a game in solo queue i don't view it like that at at all i am just in that game to do my job as my character and yes some games are playing oriana given the way the comms pan out given the way the game pans out maybe i am the carry other games, maybe not. Maybe I get behind. And the way you need to think about it, the reason you may be- get behind in some situations is maybe the enemy make I- inefficient plays to get you behind. Maybe the jungler skips three camps to gank mid, you die or blow your flash or whatever, or have to use all your mana or whatever, or you get chunked. But then your jungler is getting a massive camp lead over the enemy jungle, ends up being two levels up. Now, in that situation, you, you might not be the carry anymore. Maybe you just have to you have to accept reality and allow your jungler to carry because the enemy jungle made an inefficient play, which allows your jungler to be the carry. Or sometimes the enemy support will roam mid, go down one or two levels or get his own AD carry killed for going for this roam to get you behind and which your AD carries the carry. That's why I love Oriana and Solo as well, because she's so flexible. You can do everything. You can be facilitator. You can create space. You can peel. You can be the carry. You can play the front to back. You can play pick. You can do whatever you want. But um, that is such an important concept to understand. Very important concept to understand. And have you seen that in your own coaching class, Nathan, at all or not? I... I yeah, I'll, I'll definitely agree with what he said. That he thinks most players think that they have to be the main character. 
Yeah. I mean, there's, there's, I mean, in, in, just from my experience coaching with Hilo, Curtis, just end of story. There's very few times where I see someone back off a fight. It's always, okay, fight's happening. I have to just engage here. And I just have to play mechanically perfectly. Yeah. Instead of being like, oh, okay, like my role here, like this, like I can't really do much here. Let's just either try and back ping my team. Cause sometimes, sometimes players actually encourage bad plays from their teammates as well. And sometimes they blame their teammates in the fight. Well, it's like, well, this was actually pretty bad for them in the first place. You shouldn't have done this. Yeah, hundred percent. That, that <laughs> that's actually such a massive one, man. Like now that you, now that you raise that, I haven't thought about this in a while. But um, okay, I've had a few coaching clients where um, they will complain about either not receiving ganks or their teammates not helping them or doing something else. What happens is that I can literally break down why it was actually good for them not to help you. There's some situations where the jungler isn't incentivized or shouldn't come to it your lane. It doesn't make sense. Yeah. It I've literally said that make sense. It doesn't make sense. He Whether you're yeah, trading he's poorly. actually shooting himself in the foot by trying to help you. Specific mm-hmm. situation is like he's doing Rift Herald and you're taking like a heavy trade, you know? I mean, there's so many situations where the jungle should just not even come anywhere near you. And sometimes that's just the way the game, that's why the cookie crumbles. And you got to be able to adapt, period. You got to be able to adapt. And I just found that really interesting. So if that sounds like you, if you feel like you maybe have that mental block or that invisible narrative where you feel like you have to be the carry every game, I think then something that you may need to refine is the ability to be able to identify your role in every game and my character, you don't have to be the main put character. Your, put your ego aside. The Batman and the Robin. At the end of the day, Robin still gets uh, he gets credit for being Robin. You know, even though he's not Batman. Is that a good analogy, Curtis? He I still actually wins. haven't seen Batman and Robin. He, he still wins. Batman's you know, he still wins at the end of the day, but he's Robin. Well, the way I'd probably view it even more so is like like coaching staff with a team in a weird way. They, they went like at the end of the day, the coaching staff of, you know, the people behind the scenes that we might not see of DWG, you know, yeah, they do a lot of work. Yeah. You know, I love that. Anyway. Um, interesting. Now, um, I mean, I had one more point here. Yeah. Let's do one more topic. Then we'll mm-hmm. go into Q and a, all right. Um, this is a little bit of a rant. I mean, okay. Where this came up was, so obviously, those of you who listen to this, you may know a little bit about my background, but I was a head coach for three years. And obviously, being a head coach for three years, you watch a lot of scrims, right? You watch a lot of scrims. I've probably, and I was actually had this conversation with you once, Nathan, we're saying how, like, how many scrims total have we watched? Then we worked it out. It's thousands. It's three, about 3,000, I think we said. 3,000 3, scrims. A ridiculous amount of scrims. Now... What so happens? Seven years, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Even before that, so I've been a head coach for three, three years, and I was a player before that, and then we were just w- played all the time and just watch rewatch scrims and things like that for such a long time. Now, what happens when I'm in when you're doing something for so long, it just becomes the norm. Like whatever you're doing just becomes the norm because you've done it so much. Think about an example I use is like, say you you work at a you think about your workplace. It doesn't matter where you work, whatever your workplace is. And maybe when you first joined that workplace, you were like really inquisitive about why things are done. 
the way they are. You're like, oh, why does that guy do it that way? He must have a reason for it, but like, what's the reason for it? Like, why is he doing it? You're very inquisitive, like asking, you're, 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 you're probing everything. Like when you go into a new workplace or when you get a new job, you're probably thinking the same. Why do we, why am I doing it this way? And you're always thinking, I, surely I could do this more efficiently or surely I could do it in a way that's going to save time. Like you're just questioning things, but soon you'll realize as you keep working, you keep working. It's like, it just becomes the norm. And at some point you just don't question it anymore. It's like, this is the way it's done. This is the way it is. It's, it is, it is what it is. And you just do it. And that's what happened to me with uh, coaching in, with, in, re- in reference to scrims. Now, what happened in 2017. Wait, so you only know that because you, you've stepped away from it now. Yeah, and the point in, I'm trying to make. Moment, you, you couldn't describe it like that, could you? Yeah, no, in the moment, I never would have described, I never would have had this thought process. And I'll get to it in a second. But yeah, what I'm trying to get at is that I've been out of it now. And now thinking back about what we did in scrims and scrim culture now and the way practice is done, it really doesn't make any sense. And the reason I actually thought of this was because I remember in 2017, we had a performance director come in and I remember the first day he watched scrims. He'd never seen esports. He would never even seen a scrim. He didn't scrim know, what, he know what League of Legends was, right? Didn't even know what League was. And he remember he asked me, he's like, why is it done like this? Why do you, like he was observing the, the post-game yeah, review. Look at the review, right? Specifically the review. Yeah. It was the review. And he was like, why is it done like this? Surely you could do it better like this. And I was like, yeah, yeah. Shut up, old man. Like, what do you know? You know nothing about esports. Like, go back to your- Typical egotistical Curtis. Ignorant Curtis. Yeah, go back to your, like, your old school company, whatever. Anyway. And it got me thinking, okay. Now, like, what do I agree or disagree with in terms of scrim culture? Now, one of the things some of you may know who have done scrims before, the way it worked in our region, and it was similar in other regions as well, was that you would do blocks of either three or five, and uh, and in between each game, generally there was between a 13 to 15-minute review time. Right, so you could do whatever you wanted in this fifteen-minute time. Whether you could, you send the players off to review individually. Whether you do team review. Whether you, or whether you do zero review, the players just go off and drink water and dick around and go to practice or whatever you want to do. And it got me thinking: like, isn't fifteen minutes incredibly short? Period. Isn't that such an incredibly short period of time, considering like what we're trying to improve here? Like, think about this. Let's let's get very detailed here. You finish a scrim, and generally what happens? What happens in a scrim? Someone's pissed off, or someone's really happy, either one or the other. There's no in-between. Very, It's very rare that you have five level-headed agnostic people that are just like, oh, GG. Well, right, let's well, get unless you won, Curtis. <laughs> oh, no, if you win, they're usually happy. Yeah, that's right. Like yeah, so yeah, yeah, sorry, level headed. Yeah, so it's just like, okay, that's the game. This is this is what we take from it. Yeah, no, there's emotions, rare, emotions after every scrum. Yeah, win everyone's emotional. Everyone's yeah. emotional win or loss. If they win, they're usually happy. Ha ha, you see that thing with that guy entered? Oh, yeah. That was hilarious. That guy just don't, tried to die me. Come check uh, this out. Uh, like, look at, come look at this guy. I, I solo check out the solo kill. Like, this sort of shit happens at every level. Or they, or they lose and they're pissed off. And the first thing they do when they jump out of that game is, Literally, as soon as the Nexus, before the Nexus, as the Nexus is literally exploding, they take off the headset, say, <laughs> hey, Calvin, why'd you die? Like, how did you get caught in that dragon fight? Why did you die there? Why did you overstay there? 
like it's some like really du- like su- not like sarcastic, but it's some like passive aggressive, semi toxic comment. That's just the way. Well, 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 you know the thing about that is that well, let's say for example for Calvin, Calvin knows that's coming eventually, right? And this is what creates really toxic team culture. He knows it's coming because he's done it so many times. That person, and then it's like he's waiting for it, and then. As he's saying it, because remember, people, especially, you know, when all the comms go quiet, you know, it's like when, you know, when we're starting to like, it's obviously the game's lost. Everyone's really just thinking about what they're going to say after the game. You know, everyone's just waiting for the Nexus to explode to literally get into it straight away. Versus, which I think is what your proposal is, Curtis, is that reviews shouldn't, there should be no talking for the next five minutes. There literally should be not a single word said. What should happen is everyone, Take a minute or two, get a bit of water, stretch your legs, come back to the computer, get into individual review. Individual review, period. Whether it's micro, what are you focusing on your micro, you're focusing on your wave manipulation, your jungle tracking, whatever, your point of view, individual review. Team play shit aside, whether it's the way you're focusing on that you wanted to learn more about the matchup, whatever you want to do for, say, five, seven minutes. Then slowly break out into duos and trios, whether it's the bot lane now review stuff together or the mid jungle, look at a few skirmishes or ganks together or the top in the jungle. You break out into duos and trios and go through situations. Then that gives slowly, they. so what's the great thing about this? They've had time to cool off. They've had time to look at how they contributed to the game's result, win or loss. They've then been able to get into the nitty gritty and get very, very specific. Then when they come to that that conversation at seven minutes, whether it's a something around a, a poor rotation heading to a Rift Herald fight, whether it's the way someone didn't flash in a team fight or whatever it was, or poor itemization, at least they've calmed down a little bit. They've been able to see how literally what actually happened in the game very logically because they know they've been able to review the game and see what happened. And they're able to see how they contributed to the win or loss. Then you have a much higher quality discussion. You can have much higher higher quality discussion at that point. I would also go further and say after that, after they break out into two or three, that's going to be another at least, you know, another seven minutes or whatever, five to seven minutes. Then the coach comes in and maybe goes through a few things. And like, again, we're, we're already pushing past 15 minutes by far. I mean, if you're doing seven minutes, seven minutes, it's 14 plus a two-minute break, already like 16-something. And then there's a, probably uh, the team, uh, maybe the coach goes over one or two macro plays, some team fights. Um, then we go over some dra- drafting discussion for the next game, prep for the next game. We're already heading up to 20, 20 to 25 minutes. Then, not even on top of this, one of the most important jobs of a coach is to assess the quality of the communication. Go through specific moments and talk about here in this moment, Joe, a minute before this objective, you should be talking about what you want to happen at this next objective, or you should already be calling off that objective saying that you don't want it because you need to, you need to tell your team what you want this far. Like this is where communication gets, you need to get very, very in depth with communication. What is and isn't said now. What well, the- and, and when did we ever do that? Curtis, like go back to the a recording and then you would say you'd, listen to specific moments because it's it really comes back to he said he said she said how many times did you hear oh i said that oh i didn't hear you and i think i mentioned i don't know if i mentioned this on another podcast like the most toxic form of communication is assumed communication have i spoken Mm -hmm. about this in the podcast yet 
I was it on the previous episode? Maybe, maybe not. Just talk about it. Okay, go it again. Well, the most toxic form of yeah, very important. The most toxic form of communication is assumed communication, where I say I might say you say me and you are mid jungle, and I say you know Nathan, um, like mid mid frozen. Now mid frozen to you to to you might mean. Oh, I got to gank mid. I got to help mid, or whatever it is. It's got. It might mean something to you, but for me, I might just be giving you that information. But because maybe you interpreted the way I said it, the volume I said it, or the time I said it, maybe you were nearby when you said I said it. I don't know. It meant something to you. And then after the game, you make a decision. I'm like, what the fuck is he doing? What is Nathan doing? Why is he? Why is he here? Like, why did you break my freeze? Or why did you come drink mid here? And we got counter ganks. And like, and then you're like, well, I didn't want to do this, but I did because you said mid was frozen. And then, like, it gets crazy. This is the quality, the level of discussion and the quality of level of um, review that you need to get into. Like, this is all stuff that you can't go over in 15 minutes. Yes, you're not going to be able to go over every single little detail, but there's still, you can hone in only on communication maybe for 15 minutes between the entire team and which actually brought me to my other thing was that maybe optimal practice is that twice a, two days a week we go over only laning phase stuff draft oriented stuff the next day we go and go over only communication the next day we go go only over team fighting and skirmishing and then the final day before we go on stage on the weekend is we go over we only don't talk about macro nothing we literally just play our compositions out and learn how to play our matchups. Or I don't know. All I'm saying is that like there has to be something done here to refine the quality of screen practice because the way I see it, it's an absolute shit show. It's There's so not much learning going on. Very little, or very, okay. Well, they're not squeezing no, nearly maybe 10% of what they could be doing. Okay. The, okay. If you think about the coach's job, well, think about the, the, what's the what's the purpose of scrims, Nathan? The purpose of scrims is what to get the most amount of your goal should be get to get the most amount of value or practice or knowledge. Each game, well, I mean, from I mean each you, game, you go back. It's like you probably forget. I'd say teams forget this. It eventually, comes into just trying to show that I'm just better than my teammates, and then I can get picked up by another team. Like usually, it's, I think it sometimes it's just lost, Curtis. Where it's like, I'm just trying to protect myself so I just don't get fired. I mean, I mean, at the end of the day, what it should be, Curtis, is that we're trying to be the best team possible to win the NLCS or LEC. Oh yeah, I think, I think, I, from my experience, I think it moves so far away from that, Curtis. It moves so far <laughs> away from let's be the best possible team. It's like, how can it? I survive today? How can I protect my ego today? Or how can I not get flamed today? So then I can survive just another day. That's actually where we can get to, especially the bottom tier teams. Or some of the, or even like, yeah, how do I look good so I don't get replaced next split? Or because things get replaced. Or I can just, I can just play good enough or I I play safe enough. Yeah, how do I play safe enough? I don't want to try and hard for the team where like I can just not make mistakes and it's like, oh, well, he's not like in team. Or how can I, how can I play well enough so that my teammates don't flame me for talking to my girlfriend tonight? Yeah. I, I don't know if I did. I sidetrack you, but that, that's that's my initial reaction to like where scrims actually eventually move to. But we no, no, I think, no, I think you're I think you're spot on. I think we actually go so far away from the fact that we're using this time to become the best team possible. Well, well yeah, because we're because 
again, because there's no process after a review. Yeah, the processes are so lackluster. It's just like, it's just, you know, as you say, going back to your analogy where it's like, this is just the way we do it because this is just the way it is. No one's questioning well, it. If you, if you think about it even more like granularly, it's like, okay, we are, we are going to practice as a team only a certain amount of times this year. Like we're only going to have a certain amount of scrim blocks. Now, if you think about it, in the highest level of competition, your goal as a team should be, if you're like, it should be like this. If we can use our practice time more efficiently than other teams in the league over a long period of time, we should be able to overtake them, even if they're better than us right now. If we're getting hunt or like 80, 90% of the learning out of every single scrim, and we have very little wasted time in terms of we have great quality com- like discussion, we, we don't asking tilt each other, questions. asking high quality questions, we're going straight to the point where re- we're honing in on specific things and not scattering our brains, all these things, then over the course of weeks, months, years, we are going to be a much better team than our counterpart. But the people don't view it like that, Nathan. We're so short-term. We're so incredibly short-term. But this is where the great leadership and coaching staff really needs to come into play. Absolutely. Yeah. To try okay. and get us to get away from the short-term and thinking bigger picture. Thinking bigger picture. About there's something about this scrim, the scrim block, and how your teammates may have played bad. Let's think about where do we want to be in three months. It's 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 also it's like just ties it back into the um the death thing. Each scrim block is the most important scrim block and the least important at the same at the same point in time. Absolutely, it's the way you got to view it. Yes, it's important, but it's not at the same time. You got to have that same mentality. And so, if I were to go back in time and be a coach, a head coach, or assistant coach, or whatever in, in, in an organization, I would spend so much time just straight listening. I would, I would actually just wouldn't say a word as a coach. Let the head coach do their thing, whatever. I'll sit back. And I'll just listen. And I will just listen and say, what is the purpose of mm. that discussion? How mm. can we how can how could we get the learning from that discussion? Which I, I can see the intention is good, but how could we get the learning from that discussion rather than taking eight minutes for it? How could we get that down to one or two minutes? What sort of questions well, would we have also, to ask? Who who needs to be involved and who doesn't? Because how many times have also seen situations, Curtis, where the, so after the scrim a conversation just breaks out between two people or either like some argument or they could really also be working together on something. And then um, let's say, or even the head coach starts saying something, but it's really only related to a couple of players. But then everyone feels like they're dragged into it. And then they're just sitting there just wasting time. Like, like, what let's the fuck say, am I doing here? Let's say the top players are sitting there just listening to this conversation. It doesn't really affect them. This is why I love the breakout rooms. You do like two duos and trios. I think it's much better. Mm. It's so much harder unless you're doing an active like five man team fight where everyone needs to be aligned. That's not often. It's very rare in League of Legends. That's the case. Um, yeah, I mean, again, you could just listen to every single conversation, every single word said, because that matters. We're not just playing for the next three weeks. We're playing for a year. Mm. We might be playing for two years. <laughs> Which is. Yeah, that's another whole issue, Curtis, in itself, I think, and the duration of teams, teammates playing with each other. Mm. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's why Ross is, I put a value on having the same roster for a long period of time, if possible. Right? Which is it's, not possible right now in the current well, it's not, climate. Well, it's not possible right now, but I think coaching staff is definitely possible. Yeah. 
Yeah, definitely. Coaching search would be possible. Mm. But anyway, that I just feel like it's so it'll be it'll be so interesting to see what the standard of practice is like in the future. Like if I go back into the pro scene, like obviously I've been I've been talking to a few teams, uh, like potential people internationally, and if I were to go back into the pro scene, what that would be like now? Has it changed? How much has it changed? Or is it still just trash like it has been for the last seven years, eight, no, ten years? Super, super interesting. It'll be very interesting. Also, if we were to fast forward 10 years from now, what does a scrim set look like, Nathan? Mm-hmm. I would say it would look very different from how it looks today. It'd be like, you won't even like know what you're listening to. It'd be like, can you believe we did that? That's what I, that's what motivates me, dude. Even with my YouTube mm-hmm. content with you, right? It's like, how can I do this better? Mm-hmm. How can I get across what I'm saying in a more effective manner? Yeah, the way I coach this this year, like I'm on past reflection the last couple of, you know, weeks, days, I'm literally like, yeah, I, I did that. You know, like I could have done that a lot better with the knowledge that I have. There. But yeah, I had to do that. You know, you have to go Absolutely. through those learnings, you know. The only reason you're bringing this up here is because you had time, you did it, you had time now to reflect and now you understand, okay, that was just done really poorly. But at that time, you thought that was the best way to do it because it's, again, that's what everyone else did. That's what you're told to do. This is the way Koreans did it. This is the way Chinese, you know, LPL did it. That's a good point, actually. I wouldn't have been able to even come to these conclusions if I was in the shit. This is why I needed a year off. Hmm. I mean, I needed a year off just to reflect, man. I was just getting fucked in every single day as a coach. Like, I was in the shit for so long. Man. It's like the he pressure said, of like the splits ending soon. We got to like do short term, ba- and it's just a band aid solution after band aid solution. And it's like, oh, all right, all right, new roster, new roster, new coaching star, bang, 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 bang. Really kick from the team. Oh. Who's going? It's so good to get out of it for a year, man. I'll be honest. Holy moly. Um, and I just right. one last little thing before go we go on, into go the on. questions. I yep. think this also stems for people doing like just like reviews. Okay the quality of the questions you should ask yourself doing your own reviews rather than, okay, rather than how did my, like, what did my jungle do to fuck my lane? Or what did my jungle do to screw my lane? Or, or how, like, why was this a loser's queue game? Or like, just whatever it is. It's like, just, they also like, just to be honest, I don't even ask questions. I think that's the first problem. I don't even ask questions. So there's asking yeah, a poor quality question. Then there's asking a great quality question. Then there's not qu- asking questions at all. So I think most people in their reviews don't really ask questions because the sort of questions that you should be asking are things like, what did I do to contribute to this situation? What could I have done to prevent this sort of thing from happening? What's, what variables did I not consider when heading into this? What variables could I have considered or could I have begun to th- think about in the loading screen? What could I have done to learn more about this matchup before? What do I need to learn more about next time in order to prevent this from happening? What could I have said or what could I have not said to tilt someone here? Because write these down, man. These are, this is gold, man, honestly. If, if, if everyone asks these questions after every game, because the solo could be such a more pleasant experience. Now, there's no one's blaming anyone because everyone's like, well, I got to ask these questions after this game and whatever I'm doing here is not helping me. Like I actually had a game recently, by the way. This was super interesting. So I was playing with um, Gun Crab, right, mm, in mm. Uh, in the bot lane, mm. and like, he, so this guy is he's like a pro player in our region, and I was playing like I, I like made some pretty. I'll say because obviously supports my secondary role. I'm not amazing at support, and I'm playing in some high elo games, right? So I'm not I'm not a high I'm not a I'm not a I'm not a good support. 
I mean, I can do some, I can think my roaming's okay, but my laning as a support is actually not good at all. Now, when I, when I, sometimes when I lane with pro 80 carries, I can tell they get very frustrated. Because you're not playing like their, their support, them, their, their main supports. Like, this guy's just trash. Yeah, yeah. And I can understand that. And then, like, I could tell, like, and then what happened? Like, I mispositioned once, or maybe I went for a roam or whatever happened, or I didn't threaten hard enough so the enemy would be able to build a wave, and then he died. Right. And I could tell he was really frustrated. He didn't type anything, but I could just tell, like, but he, with the way he was pinging me, mm -hmm. like, I could tell he's pissed off. But rather than me going on the defense and saying, fuck this guy, you know, like, why is he doing this? Whatever. I like, I actually took a much more empathic approach. Where I was like, I would, I can understand why he thinks that. I can understand why he would feel like that. And I can understand why he'd be pissed off at me right now. And yes, it takes a while to get to that point, but I understand. I understand. And what would the best thing for him to be? How, how would he frame it? He's like, okay, well, this guy's off roll support. I shouldn't have any expectations for him. Well, it's just like, yeah, manage your right? just managing your expectations and just Absolutely. being. Just and if he wants, if he wants me to do something, type it. Mm. Like literally, like I, I mean, I don't know how to play the matchups because I don't play bot lane. How does he want? Does he want me to hard shove level one? Does he not? Does he want me? What does he want me to do? I mean, if he was really that desperate, then he could maybe say that. But then maybe most people think, oh, why do I have to do that? Why is it my responsibility to tell him how to play his role? But then that, that's if you, want, if, you, if you want to win the game, then yeah, you, he could help you play better by you doing that instead of you having worrying. It's like how frustrated is him? So it's like it's like you know why it's your responsibility because you can win the game by utilizing your teammates. What's going on, Curse? Is someone at our at our house? No, I'm just looking. Like, what the hell is that on my? I'm like looking at that. What is that on my shelf? What? Oh, never mind. I know what it is. Okay. Don't worry. Um, yeah, yeah, spot on. Anyway. Q&A. Q&A. Oh, so to... right, let's do a quick break. I got to quickly change the battery in the camera. Oh, look, we got webcams. The webcams nicely plugged into my computer, getting power from my computer. So I'm all good. All right. Ooh. So actually, no, but this, I actually have to test this out. So let's see if this oh, works. Shit. All right. This is new, new technology of the broken by concept, BBC question and answer time. So you're going to bring it up. Oh, my yes. God. Look at that, man. All right, so let's, Nathan, explain to the Spotify listeners what's going on right now. Okay. All right. Well, I've just uh, got up the question on the screen for our YouTube people. I'm going to read it out. So this is a question from, <laughs> you said Curtis, but I think he was just thinking of you because his name's Derek in the email. So I think that might be a mishap. Or maybe his name's, maybe he's just confused about what his name is. Um, anyway, he <laughs> says, hey, guys, just curious, but would you guys say there is a good routine for the league at each ELO? whether it be a combination of playing games, reviewing, watching our videos, watching Korean challenges, etc., or should a gold and diamond player, for example, have the exact same routine and what would that be? Um, I actually am going to answer this question differently than what I did last time, Nathan. Okay. So I've got a video again that's coming out probably the same time this podcast, and I talk, I talk about um, the three phases of learning a champion. Hmm. And in the three phases of learning a champion, you have the first 10 games, which is just like the basic fun zone. Everything's fun, cool, calm, collected. You have the second zone, which is the tilt zone, where from games 10 to 50, it gets very, very difficult. Um, but you're not quite yet a champion mastery yet. And then you have like kind of like 50, 60 plus games where you're, you're, you're nearing champion mastery. All the basics are uh, muscle memory, and you're starting to really hone in on the one percenters. Now, what I've realized this with myself as well is that 
you get so much more value from watching one tricks and high elo players when you're when you've already mastered that champion, mastered champion when you're already right. yeah. yeah when you're already into phase you're, three. you're, you're, you're gonna see things that you can't see at phase one you know you're just learning the champion because you just overlook things well someone like the average silver or gold player watching dopa is basically is gonna get very like they're basically gonna get 20 percent of the value you know, because they're, they're not seeing what he's doing. So, they don't so, understand. So, it's like, in my opinion, like, Silva, like, I mean, anyone below gold needs to be playing the game. Yeah, like I actually 80% say, of the time. I would literally, no, I even go further than that. I say from just Iron no to one, no watching you, don't even, you don't need to watch your vote. Yeah. I say, just don't overcomplicate the game. Don't. Just I, think, I think you're right, because I think that our content confuses the shit out of people, especially especially when I see, I mean, I, I sometimes try and, I mean, it's very difficult, but I some, sometimes try and put, put myself in my shoes watching my content, but even, even other content, because I have recommended videos from skill caps and pro guards and stuff pop up. I'm like, this is not something I want people to be focusing on at all. And it's something yeah. like, like even like wave management, or like, like who cares about that in... Well, for me, oh, we can't even control your character, you know. But for me, I don't talk about wave management. I don't recommend wave management until gold for most players. Okay, gold. There you and go. even then, it's basic wave management. Basic, it's not yeah, there's levels wave of wave management. Yeah, there's levels to that. It's just basic wave management. No, like knowing how to manage a wave, like that's all it is essentially. Knowing how to slow build, knowing how to fast push, knowing how to freeze if you need if you want to freeze, rather than like. But whereas advanced wave manipulation is like you're already thinking about what you want to do with your wave way in advance. And you're, you're doing things with your wave now that's going to set yourself up for success in the future. But, but essentially, here, yeah, I would say if you're gold and above, I mean, okay, the, you get more value from watching the higher elo you get. So you should watch, I would say, you know, I would say you start reviewing your games in gold, but don't get obsessed over it. Re review the first five, 10 minutes of your landing phase, that sort of thing. Or don't spend a lot, a lot of time just see the fundamentals, the very basics. As you start to get to platinum, then you got to get more detailed. Diamond, you got to get more detailed, um, and things like that. And I would also go to the extent to say, um, in gold, I would you say review every game, Nathan, to your clients? In gold, I say you do get value. You should because it's less. Okay, yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, I would say, I mean, just look at your deaths. You just keep it simple, though. You don't, yeah, you keep it very, very simple. You don't, like, you go to the point where it's like, yeah, I mean, these games pretty much over because I've died, you know, or like, I mean, just basic stuff. It's like, I mean, it makes sense why this game was so difficult because I literally have like 30 farm at 10 minutes. I forced all these ganks and I'm three levels behind. It's like, okay, let's, let's, that's something you can, you can get that little niche thing. It's like, okay, why did that happen? It's like, okay, again, I, I forced ganks. I, I probably played around the wrong, completely the wrong side because those ganks didn't work because I didn't understand champion matchup knowledge and stuff like that. And then, you know, then that's where I'll work that out with them. And, 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 and one tip I give to people, if you're, if you are low elo in reviewing games, you're not sure what to look for. I like to use the reverse engineering technique where you look at a death and then go back from there. So that's all you need to do a lot of the time in low elo. So go back to a death when you died and literally be like, okay, Given I died here, or even go to a, a situation where you felt was shit, a, a shit situation where the enemy got a roam off, whether you got chunked, whether you had to blow your flash, and just go back, start from that point, then go backwards to see what contributed to that situation. That's another technique you can do. But again, yeah. um, keep it very simple in gold, platinum, get a bit more detail, a bit more detailed. If you're unsure what to look for in your reviews, I have a video on my channel called What to Look For or How to Vault Review at Each Rank um i'll check that out if you're interested 
All right. Yep. I definitely agree with pretty much all that. Yeah. I mean, gold below play the damn game. Cause again, I just see so many players that just don't play enough to actually have the opportunity to even be good in the first place. Yeah. So even reviewing their games is just pointless because they're just not playing enough games. Yeah. And yeah, I think I'm, you're spot on. I think the higher you go, the more you need to watch. But I mean, but playing the game still should be a priority. It's not oh, like yeah. it's like 40, 60. We only ever should review if you're playing. You don't review if you're not playing. Because the, because the reason is you want to be able to, you got to implement what well, you're learning. When should they watch Korean Challenges? Who should be watching Korean Challenges, Curtis? I think well, you can watch Korean Challenges for basic trading patterns and 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 the way knowledge. they play matchups knowledge, yeah, even in gold and platinum. But okay. don't go, don't don't go too in depth, like mm. with the game pace and crazy concepts and tempo. Just just purely focus on just basic trading patterns, and then you would look. Then once you start to get to like diamond and stuff like that, or like high plat, you can start to look at like the way they're tethering. How specifically, like, are they do? Why are they doing taking the trades that they're doing? And jungle tracking and their warding and everything like that. Yep. Yep. So I have a huge emphasis. I'd say the playing game section of your question here, Derek, is this is definitely, I think, very important just over across all ELOs. And then as you go higher and higher, then you can do all this other stuff here. But reviewing your games is definitely helpful using our content. All right. Next question here is from Moe. He's a Plat ADC player on EU and E. Um, loves our podcast, can relate to many things. Um, we feels like that watching the podcast has helped shape his mindset. It's awesome to hear, Maui. Uh, here's a question about league's been around for a long time. It's evolved a lot. Um, and also we can assume that, you know, gold today was not gold, you know, five years ago, um, five seasons ago. By analogy, he thinks, is it? His question is, is it possible that Diamond players nowadays can beat world champions from earlier seasons, like season three? What do you think? We, so we spoke about this like, we, like um, last episode. We, we hugely disagree on this, don't we, Curtis? Oh, yeah. So we'll talk about what your what your perspective is first, Nathan. Okay. So I, I, I'm just trying to think right now. Okay. Let's use – I want to utilize like, – let's say discount season one and season two because the mm-hmm. game was just a completely yeah. different game yep. like the champions like i talk about in the, the world's podcast like season two worlds was like maokai jungle into mundo and like a nivea mid and like you know all this shit it's like the yeah, game was yeah. just okay. Ridiculous, okay so let's do season three skt faker bengi piglet um Pumandu. It? yeah Pumandu. yep and it's like can a diamond pl- diamond team or diamond players beat them nowadays no not even close because do you know why? Because there's just an element of they can control their character. Like, you can't tell me a diamond player still has the mechanics of faker mechanics in season three. It's not possible because I just can't see this. I you said so this, there is. This is where I, I thought about this over the last week a lot, Curtis. You emphasize like laning and like macro strategy and stuff like that. Just I feel like too much. And you're discounting mechanics what and like, what am i discounting mechanic micro laning micro. is mechanics so, so you think the micro the diamond micro player right now is a challenger player in season three yes by what yes. the hell <laughs> yes you get right, like season, a, five. season five so my what i said was i said this i said c9 academy now 
well, this year. They're, they're Tiana, first place team in, in NA Academy, yeah. This is first place team in NA Academy, right? They had yeah. Fudge, they had yeah. King, you know, pretty good team. C9 Academy would win season three, four, five, and probably even season six Worlds, I believe. And I'll I'll maybe give season three and season four, but not five and six. And I believe that they would even probably make it very deep into season seven, if not win it. And the reason is that the game changed so much, Nathan, that you can just like people didn't know how to replicate leads and they didn't understand matchup intricacies as they do now. And like, okay, the way I'm viewing it now, dude, and the reason this is the case is because what? So I got a thousand LP challenger in season seven and players on Direwolves, pro players, they all got challenger in Korea in season seven. Fantix was like beating Dopa. Our mid laner was beating Dopa in season seven. This is just like random O's players. And you know, th- these guys were rivaling some like some amazing players back then. And you know how little they knew about the game, Nathan? They literally knew nothing. They were winning off just pure instincts. They knew nothing. They didn't. They yeah, and think- what I'm saying is their instincts of, of the best players in the world in season three, four, five, six, that outweighs the instincts okay. that the Bellman player would have today. Okay, that, that's season seven. Remember that. This is season seven OPL roster. Okay. Yeah. Fudge now and King now in season 10? If, if season seven King versus season 10 King, it's not even close. It's, that's it's true. Not, it's not yeah. even close. Fudge, yeah. Fudge would would kill Chippies solo a trillion times. It would be like yeah. it would be like, the difference between Fudge in season ten than Chippies in season seven would probably be that of like a rank one challenger versus like a high plat. And and the thing is, is laning is such an important part of the game. And not only now, Nathan is laning important. It's they know how to translate leads. And the junglers especially know how to dominate. They know how to look at lanes more. They know how to translate leads, stack objectives, kill objectives. They know how, like, the game has just evolved. So I think that, yeah, easily by far. Would a, would a platinum, here's this. Would a platinum team make Worlds in Season 3? A pl- high, high plat team? High plat team. I think so, Yes. It's absolutely delusional, Curtis. No way. This is where we disagree. I mean, I just think that the game has evolved way too much. Oh, I, I need I need other people's opinions on this because, you know, it just confuses me how you're so convinced and why I'm so convinced on the other side. Yeah, I'm so convinced, dude. And and, and you know what? The, okay, again, I was 1,000 LP in Season 7. Ranked, it was like the top 10 in Season 7. I was so bad at the game that, like... like yeah, but thousand- you were 1,000 LP in Season 7, Curtis, but you weren't even close to being a World Championship player. Yeah, but okay, okay. Uh, putting me aside, putting me aside, the players on on that team were on season seven were so dumb, and they were still doing okay against the highest Korean players in Challenger back then. Mm-hmm. You know, and and how I'm just I'm using that as a benchmark to see how different even three seasons is. We're talking five seasons, and when we're talking way better players now. I mean, I can't, I, I literally think, I, I don't understand how you, I actually don't understand how you think otherwise. That's the thing that confused me. I, I, I'm bamboozled. Okay, I'll, I'll say a, a team, like I, I, I would. You know, our clash uh, team. Let's think about our clash team. Yeah. Minu, Charlie, yeah, and yeah. that top laner. 
There's no easily, fucking way Worlds Curse in season three. Easily win Worlds in season three. Easily. Uh, you need to lose. What's wrong with you, dude? I don't know. I just, it's, there's what? more to Dude, I'm telling you, that would be like versing, it'd be like versing gold players. It's like, it's like you're discounting. So you're basically discounting. There was no teamwork in season three, season four, season five, six, seven. No, there was it's teamwork. All... No, so we don't have teamwork. fucking teamwork. A team of a bunch of diamond players don't Individuals, have teamwork. We know this, Nathan. Indi- you get, we said this is what, man. Okay, okay. There's two different things now. World champions. So is this teams or play individual players? I'm talking, right, I'm talking right, two right, things. Right, so let's say, let's say if it was Calvin King right now versus, uh, Bing, uh, sorry. Okay, that's 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 in solo queue in season four. We're not even talking. We're not even talking about season four three because that's just. Ridiculous. I actually think King would actually probably beat Imp in season four. No shit, we're not even talking oh, yeah, about okay. season three, season four. Let's go all yeah. the way to season five and six. Okay, I want to go to season five and six, dude. Yeah, right now there is no doubt in my mind that C Nine Academy would be win season five worlds and yeah. season probably even season six. There's just no doubt in my mind, man. Mm. Like okay. there is no doubt in my mind, because because the thing is, Nathan, is that like there are concepts that literally didn't exist. And there's concepts and, that haven't changed though as well. What's a good fight? What's a bad fight? What's the limits of my champion? What's my item spikes? That's stuff that hasn't changed as well, Curtis. A lot of leak hasn't changed. The laning is just too different. You just think it outweighs it. Just outweighs it. So the much. micro the laning because. I don't think you maybe, maybe it's because I'm not a jungler and I just haven't played. Yeah. Maybe because I just took a four year break from the game, three years I didn't play. Maybe I'm just fucking, I'm like a, literally a boomer when it comes to the game. Well, okay, like literally, like, okay, think about it like this. Think about it like this. Now, as a jungler, it's pretty stock standard, even for a D1 jungler, to like know for a diamond, even, let's even mid diamond. It's pretty stock standard for a mid diamond jungler to like know when your camps are coming up and like invaded on spawn. And like, even if they're playing Clash, they'll like talk about priority and like then the, the, the diamond one mid laner would like know how to like, you know, sync their wave with like the jungle, moving into the jungle and like doing this shit. But like in season five and stuff, like the wave manipulation was so dog shit. People just back and forth bounce waves, like, and they don't know how. Like, like people. Do so you think people, that had zero understanding? Even the best teams in the world, best players in the world, they did, but it was so low level, and 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 also it wasn't coordinated. Like pressure didn't mean shit. That's why we could the comps that we saw, like pressure wasn't like threats. Threat and pressure didn't really come into play properly. I wouldn't say until like until season seven. Threat as a concept, I don't think really existed until late, maybe late season six, early season seven. Where like threat and like kill threat and like just the ability to force something trumped everything. Because that's why, by the way, the way the game evolved in season seven. I don't know if you remember, but what happened was that. Teams realized because I believe season seven was when Rifthold came in. Season seven, I season wouldn't six. know, but it's okay, coming Rifthold like it's been for a while. Yeah, season six or season seven. Anyway, the, what happened, Nathan, is that teams started to realize that if we just like forced, like we didn't play the game by by like the book, we could like catch people off guard. So people then started to put an emphasis on on drafting things that could. Force. That's why Orn, when Orn like came out, people start to realize, holy shit, Orn could just like force this fight. Yeah, you can. Take, 
not not forcing the fight when we're ready to force the fight, force the fight when like in a chaotic manner. Mm. And, and and it felt like before that it was all too calculated. It was all too rigid. And then it wasn't until season seven and the game started getting very creative. People started to be very creative with the way they played the game. Um, and I think now Gigabyte Marines playing the way they played seemed crazy back then, but they were just ahead of the curve. That was season seven. And 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 um, Gigabyte Marines, all they were doing was they were utilizing threat. They were playing Galio Nocturne and like just like killing people. People are like, what the hell? Who does that? Who just kills people like that? Even though it's inefficient, but it worked. And no one saw that before. That's why Gigabyte Marines were so successful in Season 7. So my theory is that, yes, maybe the under underlying macro concepts, a lot of them are going to be exactly the same. And the vision and the bullshit rotations. But there is another element. It's like the mindset is so different. Um, plus, not even taking into account the way in-depth wave manipulation. That's what I think anyway. Okay, we can agree to disagree, Curtis. And, and I would love, love to hear other people's opinions on it, honestly. Yeah, it would be interesting. It would definitely be interesting to hear the people's opinions. All right, move on to the next question, Curtis. We're happy with sure. how we wrapped up that one. Yeah, I just want to, I just want to, I just can't wait to see the audience when they say, Curtis is right. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I'm happy to, comment. I want to learn here as much as I want to learn. I need to understand. I just want you to get roasted. <laughs> All right. Uh, question here from Agent Toast. So we actually answered his question a couple of weeks ago, I think. Um, he his question is, um, we talked about you know that documentary about what was that player uh, on oh, Huang Fang, yeah, Huang Fang, who um has that you know that amazing story where you know rags to riches type stuff, you know, like yep. being in some finals. Um, and wants to know about um improving in solo queue. Is getting upset, losing control of your emotions, always a bad thing, or is it, it can be a good or bad thing to for people for improving and climbing? And I he think says he thinks it may be good to um, feel upset after games as long as you use it as motivation and focus for finding ways to improve. Curious to see what our thoughts are and if you've used it the correct way. I swear you should just read out the email properly. You think Next I should? Time. Okay. Uh, yeah, let's get feedback from the community as well. Should Nathan just read out the email properly or not? Try like summarize it into like a little nice. Yeah, like, but it oh. makes it more awkward. I don't know. It's so hard. For oh, here we go. Let, let me try this. Okay. All right. Yeah, because you're looking at the screen here, but I'm trying to like put it into the perspective of you know a listener. Okay. Anyway, okay, let me just read it out. Okay. All right. Uh, hello, Kirsten Nathan. Thank you so much for answering my question last week on the stream. It was, it was extremely helpful to hear your view on the ADC role. Also, just to answer the question you both posed this week, I do care about the pro scene. That was that question that we talked about, um, about do people care about the pro scene or not? Do they watch eSports that we asked? He also enjoys hearing our take on coaching sessions, roster, meta, and draft. However, solo queue is more important to me since it directly impacts the actions I take, which we feel like is like a lot of, a lot of our listeners. They love listening to our solo queue stuff, right? Because we talk a lot about solo queue. So for this week, he began to wonder about two parts of the podcast. One is the section about the documentary on how hungry certain servers are to improve, but the other is about how we shouldn't get too upset and let solo queue control our emotions. Aren't the good, bad emotions a sign of how dedicated people are to improving and climbing? I think it may be good to get upset after games as long as we use it as motivation and focus for finding ways to improve. I was curious what your thoughts are since I'm not sure if I view it the correct way. 
Oh, how's that, Curtis? Does that you can follow that a bit better? Um, yeah, I think it's okay. We'll get feedback again from the community. <laughs> yeah, we love, fe- love feedback on BBC. Yeah, all right. Like, so- Lots of feedback in the comment section here today, guys. We got about yeah. the style of this podcast, the way I answer questions about this question. We're relying um, a lot on our audience here. Yeah. Anyways, so all right, so let me start with my perspective, Curtis. Um, you definitely can't be the best if you don't get angry at yourself and periods of the time. All, all the best players that we've worked with, I've known, get very pissed off when they lose. They hate the, the perfect quote to summarize it. They hate losing more than they enjoy winning. They can't stand losing. So I think it's very important. But you, I see a lot of players and, and, and players that get this wrong, players I feel like get really upset at losing, but then they're just doing other stuff like they're blaming their teammates and stuff like that. And that's like the gold platinum players. I see this specifically in platinum players. Platinum players are very good at this. Um, so, yes, it can be a good thing, bad thing, but there's definitely a fine line. But, again, if I always go back to – Negative emotions, very powerful. We learn the most. Humans just learn the most from painful experiences. And the best players are able to view, like, because you you could die in a game of league and, like, you'll be like, yeah, it sort of sucks. But, like, if you die and you're, like, a pro player, it's like, I'm, this never happening again. Like, I cannot stand, especially losing to a specific player, especially in, like, high elo or something like that. People can really get competitive want to beat a specific player. That actually pushes them to improve. Yep, I would uh, I would tend to agree. Um, I think that the easiest way to instill change is through emotions. That's also why I believe it's important to... Okay, so I, again, I talk about this in the videos coming out tonight. I won't go too far in it, but it is important to recognize anything about how it's either either negatively or positively affecting your life and get get excited about it and be emotional about it in some way, shape or form. As long as this is where discipline really comes into play and emotional control, which I think is something that comes with age. And I'm sure this is something we're probably going to talk a lot about on our podcast. But the one thing I did want to bring up here was that Kobe Bryant video. And Kobe Bryant has an interview and the interviewer asked him a question saying, are you the sort of player that likes to win more than losing, like lo- loves winning more than they hate losing, or do they hate losing more than they uh, love winning? And then Kobe Bryant, the way he answered the question was, he's neither. Hmm. He actually, he actually just he thinks both are a weakness. And Kobe Bryant said that um, he he says people that are who have the you know they don't they hate losing. He thinks it can bring about that fear of losing and the fear of failure. Because it's like, oh, what if I lose? Like, what's going to happen? You know, blah, blah, blah. But the people that love winning and they're obsessed about winning, what happens when they don't win? What happens when they lose? You know, are they are they going to crumble? Whatever it is. So he thinks that um, both are a weakness. And he thinks his advantage when it came to the court was he's going out there to play his best no matter what. Win or loss, he is giving it his all. And as long as he gave it his all and left it all on the court, there was nothing, and there's nothing else he could have given. Then it did nothing else. Didn't mean anything. And in his mind, he said losing is actually. He says it in this weird, cheesy way. He kind of says how there's no such thing as losing. And then the way he's and what he means by that is you've only lost when you don't show up to practice the next day because there's always another season. Love that. Yeah. And he said that that was his mentality. 
There's mm. no such thing as a loss. And, and the only way it's a loss or the only way, you know, it's over is when I don't drop to practice the next day. And so, I mean, yes, he's an anomaly and yes, he's like, you know, he's the goat, whatever, but I just found that interesting and, and, and you know, it might motivate you to, um, think about it in a differing way. But yes, I do believe it's very important to get emotional because it shows you care, but you just got to be a little bit careful with the way you control your emotions. Um, and something that can help you do that again is getting into the review. So most people, this is what happens. They lose, they're incredibly frustrated, they're angry, and they direct their anger, whether it's through chat, whether it's through insta-queuing into another game and angrily queuing up again, or flaming their teammates in my Discord and me saying, can you stop venting, or whatever it is. Um, but what you need to do, take a second after the game, recognize you're a little bit pissed off, get a water break, get a snack, go outside, whatever you need to do. Come back a few minutes later, sit back, get into the review. And the great thing about getting into the review is that now you're able to see, again, what actually happened. How how did you contribute to that situation? In any way, like surely there's something that you could have done. There always is something that you could have done better. You didn't play perfectly. You're not a faker. Even faker doesn't play perfectly. And that's going to distract you from the result of that game in a weird way. It's like the review is a great tool of distraction. Uh, that's a, another little tip. Um, but yeah, it's completely normal. I think emotions are great, just the way you manage them. Love it. I actually need to revisit that that Kobe Bryant video, actually. They, you know, I actually motivated me because when you said that, it's like about solo queue. It's like, this is the way I need to view it, man. You know, it's like, yeah, for sure. Playing like the next game, you know, like getting the review, go back to the next game. Yep. So important, man. Honestly, you get so wrapped up about your ELO and L because that's what I've been doing recently. I mean, Master Promos, Curtis. Then I instantly fail them. It's like, who cares? I mean, fucking master promos, you know? Just yeah. play your yeah. best. Holy play. shit. Wake up, Nathan. Wake up. God, Bye. man. I got a lot of work to do next, next, next season. <laughs> you do. Honestly. You do. A lot of work. We all, all do. All right. We all do. That's right. We're all at different just stages. Because, and no, just because you're, what you got this last season doesn't mean shit. That's right. It literally doesn't matter. That's why I tell myself as well. It's like, I'm just going to be challenging next season. I'm yeah, just gonna, it doesn't I'm matter. Gonna do it, you know? Everyone's like, going okay. to forget I got top 10 last season anyway. What your rank is now is the most yeah, important thing. Is. That's right. Yeah. That's why I talked about living in the past. No, we're living in the present. All right. Exactly. All right. So that's going to wrap it up for our Broken by Concept BBC episode number 15. This is like our scene, second Nathan. retake. Oh, yeah. Cool. Yeah. That's a very, oh, very good, Curtis. Oh, fancy. Um. We can also do this, Curtis. Ooh, this is that sign-off thing. Let's go back to this. This is cool. <laughs> um, yeah, this was an interesting episode. We did a lot of changes here. So, yeah, we, we need to know from you guys about um, what do you guys think of this format versus me and Curtis on the casting couch? Do you guys just hate it that much that we just have to go back to it because also the mic quality, audio quality? Obviously, if you're listening to us on Spotify, I mean, you're obviously going to want to prefer that. But uh, we'll try and figure out, like, how the microphones and stuff will work. Make it try and make that improve. Also, um, you notice our little logo on the top right. Um, we had one of our listeners, our loyal listeners, Raxius, who made that for us. Want to shout him out for that? Um, he did it completely for free. I said I'll shout him out. We'll, I'll chuck his Twitter link to his Twitter in the um, in the YouTube. Definitely a little upgrade to our current logo. So really appreciate that. Um, and any, any of the last words, Curtis? No, nope, that's it, man. 
All right. Well, thanks everyone for listening and we will see you in episode number 16 of Broken by Concept. Catch up.